Hello people. Welcome to Forever. Conversations with curious minds creating sustainable brands. Brought to you by Behaviour, a creative company that balances purpose and profit. It feels like we're living through an age of reckoning. Confronted with our past failures where the Armageddon predictions and now a stark reality. We believe that it was human ingenuity that got us into this mess, and it will be human ingenuity that gets us out of it. We need radical change. But where will this change come from? And who can lead the way? Today, we are talking with Jesse Baker, technologist and founder Provenance. Provenance is a pioneering tech platform enabling purpose-led brands to build trust through sourcing and impact transparency with integrity. With their software, businesses can easily gather and present information and stories about products and their supply chains, including verified data to support them. By connecting this information, install, unpack, and online, we can all discover the origin, journey, and impact of our products. We hope you enjoy the conversation. We found this quote. Everything we do at Providence is helping businesses bring more transparency to their businesses to build trust. We encourage vulnerability, a brand trait that is still new to marketeers, but essential to a sustainable future. I love those three words, the interplay between those three words, like sustainability, Mm. transparency and vulnerability. Um, So I wondered if you could talk a bit about that. And I was also wondering, like, does bravery play a part here Mm. as well? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great word to put in the mix. Definitely that sentiment is very true with um, our work at Provenance. The reality is when you look behind products, <laughs> how they're created, sustainability is you know, it's nigh on impossible, basically. Like having a product that really is completely fair to every human that has, is related to it, that, to every environment that it's interacted with. Um, is, is, is basically pretty much impossible. Um, and I think, so what we're doing at Providence, it, you know, our, our kind of approach to helping tackle the problem, how do you get it to as close to sustainable mm. as possible is really about, yeah. you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant. So open the data so that everyone can <laughs> help, um, help, help make, uh, you know, supply chains better. But the kind of reality with that, particularly with larger brands, I think, is they're so used to their communications being so controlled by them. They're so used to it being a one-way conversation. They're just, you know, I feel like they're only just getting used to this social world of it being properly to it, people actually answering back. Because I think for ages, brands just treated social like, oh, it's another blasting channel. And now people are, you know, people are are messaging back. It's a lot more of a conversation. But for me, sustainability is like the kind of next phase of that, which is where you're going to start, you're going to become a glass box brand. You're going to, your employee is going to be talking to your customers all the time. And your customers are increasingly interested in the impact of your products. The reality Mm. is that's going to start to be completely open. So if they don't Mm. start to take on a persona of being vulnerable, 
um, mm. they're kind of screwed because they're all quite, they all need to be that because the reality is they don't all know everything about their products and there's a huge amount to do in their supply chains to get to the level of sustainability that their, their customers probably expect. Yeah, we're, we're quite kind of obsessed with that idea, like brands kind of growing up and realizing that they, yeah, they need some more human traits like vulnerability. Bravery completely agree with as well. And I think, you know, that's our customers, really. Our customer base are the people that recognize right. they have to be transparent and they have to be transparent in a way that is kind of credible, that's comprehensive, that's consistent, if they've got any chance of helping their customer base. In your sort of Unilever CEO white, 55-year-old male world, yeah, the idea of vulnerable or vulnerability mm-hmm. is like a sort of weak attribute but like actually in the worlds of maybe younger generations or psychoanalysis or whatever vulnerability is actually a a strength or a a, like a it takes bravery to be vulnerable right and bravery is clearly it's it's cool isn't it like people that are the most sure Mm. of themselves or like your coolest friends are usually the ones that don't give a shit about telling you that Mm. you know that they were at home on friday night like they don't care you know like they're like whatever you know Mm -hmm. like they're happy they're just happy with themselves brands need yeah. to get like that and as people if we're if we're vulnerable and we share or we disclose a secret or we share um stuff that could potentially be sensitive then that creates a human connection doesn't it and like you say that ultimately is the thing that builds trust rather yes. than this sort of communications csr approach b corp you're a b corp mm. we're a b corp awesome oh congrats yeah. <laughs> Hi. really high exciting. fives to the b corp <laughs> how was that process for you and would you recommend it to like i don't know all companies is is it this kind of simple answer to these very complex questions that we're talking about now so yes it's just a quick answer i definitely do recommend every company becoming a, a b corp i think it's kind yeah. of one of the one of the first rungs on the ladder of your uh, sustainability journey i think it's great because it really helps you reflect as an organization as like an hq like all the things you need to do the policies you should have in place all of that kind of jazz so i i think it's quite a helpful like operational tool personally it was quite difficult for us in some ways because just like silly things like we're not fully in control of the uh, electricity in our office and like we've lobbied yeah. our landlord but he's an old man you know like we can't like force our landlord to change gas and electricity provider yeah. even though we're, we're trying very hard yeah. so there's like some some practical shit like that that was hard um but but yeah that's just like graft i guess but yeah i think one thing was when i started providence i already put in a um like a, a section in our, our articles to say that we were kind of purpose and profit so the mm-hmm. article changing was a bit of a pain because we've got many shareholders and so getting them to all agree to us becoming a b corp still had to happen which was a bit of a, a bit of a shame because some of our investors you know most of our investors are purpose driven but some of them we did take a couple of like more traditional like tech investors that uh maybe less so and so yeah there was a bit of an educational process for them as to like what it means for their investment and then gaining all of their votes in order to officially change to a b corp I think for me, B Corp is the first step. And particularly if you are a product company, I think it's a little bit tricky with services. I actually think B Corp's great. It covers most stuff. Like, mm-hmm. um, but if you're a product company, the, you, what, 85% of the impact is in supply chains. It's not in your HQ. It's in your ingredient supply chain. And B Corp right. is only lightly covering that information. And uh, it certainly isn't a, a strong pillar of the B Corp certification. That's you, kind of where providence comes in then i guess well that's that's yeah. the big thing that, that we're focused on really is if you're making a product 
B Corp, hundred percent awesome and and so great for helping you kind of with that that uh, social social impact signal for HQ. But if you're if you're talking about your like cocoa farmers or the the fishermen that caught the fish, like they're they're not part of the B Corp impact assessment. So that's that's kind of where where I think it kind of stops. It was good for us because we almost used it as a framework to build the company around yes, because absolutely. it was so early on we we're like oh yeah. articles we better get some articles with so yeah. with a mission you know upload mm-hmm. your mission statement oh right we better write a mission statement you know so it was absolutely. we were able to part of our positioning actually came around because of the b court process because yeah. of what they were asking of us so it, it kind of worked quite nicely for us so you often refer to yourself as a hybrid of designer, technologist, and more recently, social entrepreneur spanning business design and creativity through technology. What skills, attributes, and values should we be teaching our children so we get more fabulous citizens like you? <laughs> oh, I'd, I'm not the most fabulous citizen. I try. I think we need to teach more tech skills to particularly young girls. Uh, in my point of view, um, it's still it's mm. still so atrocious. It's like 25% of all STEM careers, still only 25% female, and it's still not getting better at um, university and stuff like that. Like it's it's so I uh, you know and 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 of course we need more skills in this area in general. So I do I do think and I think that it's a systemic problem with kind of how we treat boys and girls differently early on. Mm. Like under five, you know, it's like girls mm. should be you know in their dresses neat. I think we should try to, um, yeah, bring STEM skills in as early as possible with to, to both genders. I definitely think that some elements of software design and development should be mandatory on the curriculum. I know mm-hmm. they try and teach coding at school, but yeah. I think that just puts people off because yeah. it's so yeah. hard to yeah. build the final thing. But like yeah. the reality is, I mean, we were just talking about this before, Tom. The reality is like mm. coding, like to build the thing you want, it's like so, it's so much more like assembly it's now it's more than like it Lego, was. Isn't it, like you don't need yeah. to like yeah. hand yeah. code that perfect website. Yeah. And I, I do think coding is a great skill to have, but you know, like, to build a, a, a tech you know company you don't need to be a, a you know yeah. an absolute first class coder you just need to understand the technology how it comes together mm-hmm. and what's capable of i think that's exactly really important yeah i think that's key i think really yeah. really really crucial and then i really it's like think... architects not bricklayers isn't it it's oh, like if you, totally. if you taught people to, to lay bricks and go well that's what being an architect's yeah. like it's like oh, i can't really fancy <laughs> working on a building yeah. site for the rest of my life yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's and it's so annoying because that whole like software design side, yeah. It's just not, I just think it's crazy that's not mm. taught earlier on. Like the cool mm. stuff you could build with this. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. assemble something to make yeah. a website and like what's your website yeah. going to do? Like that, yeah. like that kind of you know user centered design that like we all love. Like and how to build mm. products. Like I can't believe that's like not taught earlier. Like, we yeah. have so many mm. more entrepreneurs in this country than it was. And then I absolutely think the fundamentals of sustainability need to be taught um, at yeah. primary school. And I think that it's starting to come in, isn't it? And some yeah. teachers are better than others, but like it's a fact now um, that climate change is happening. So it should be in the curriculum. We also read on the internet, you talking quite openly about failure. You and I both know running a startup is really hard, right? The, the grit yes. and the resilience required is often underestimated and maybe even invisible to those with like normal jobs. I was interested in what kind of tools and techniques do you use, like personally do you use to stay mm-hmm. sane in the face of this huge adversity? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, provenance today is is definitely the product of like a thousand failures, like for sure. Like, <laughs> wow. It's just each one I like tried to learn from and 
use it to like make the next little pivot. I think the thing with provenance and like it was inevitable to be a thousand failures because it wasn't a like, um, you know, faster X. I was just like, I want to know about the products I buy. And it frustrates me that I can't know that. And that information isn't public. And solving that problem, it turns out, is crazy hard. And so, yeah, along that route, basically, we tried so much stuff and so many different technologies approaches. And it's just, yeah, it is the product of a thousand failures. But I think, yeah. Um, and yeah, to be totally honest with you, I was quite rubbish with those failures. And, and grit did get me through the first, like, you know, just like, oh, it must be a way, did get me yeah. through a lot of times. But I think yeah. as I have become more mature as an entrepreneur, I have become more disciplined in my documentation of failure, my, uh, my kind of how I learn from it and like how I take time to reflect from it. I've become really obsessed with the power of the retro retrospectives, like right. taking time with the team to look at why the failure happened in a very blame-free environment. We do retros a lot yeah. on the quarter, on the, the sprint we just had the past two weeks. And we do a thing called the red bin, which I learned from the Six Sigma Toyota book, which is the red bin. The red bin is a big bin that sits on the Toyota production line. And all of the um, parts that aren't correct go in the red bin. And then at the end of the week, um, the manager goes and takes a random part from the red bin. And they take a whole hour to look at what went wrong with making that part. Like, is there a mm. way we can change the production system? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Five so we do that as well. Exactly. So we... we yeah we do the same so we're like even if it's a tiny bug or like i don't know like something crashed for a second like a tiny small thing we like take hmm. that thing and then we kind of explode it and we explore why it happened and actually from that you wow. kind of because it's a small thing no one feels like bad talking about it it's yeah. like a massive fail it's like everyone's really sheepish whereas mm -hmm. it's because it's a little okay. thing you can but then from that little thing you absolutely identify bigger problems but it just yeah. means people are okay talking about it because it's not like a a boo-boo that really matters it's yeah like a tiny, yeah tiny thing retros and and they're kind of like yeah they're looking at the small problems to find the bigger systemic issues is an important thing and then mm. knowledge management is is something i rubbish at but i'm like forcing myself to be better so that we really document all of the mistakes we've made in the past the failures why they happened, what we learned from them so that the next time um you know and especially as new team members join they you know if they think of the same thing we're like okay great yeah. we're happy to try it but here is all of the information about why it didn't work the first time. We follow a process, I think it's like the government digital service, like retro process or something. And it's kind of like the first step is everybody takes a post-it and they say one to five, how comfortable they feel with that group being honest about what happened um, in the past right. sprint or whatever it is. And so they all write on a piece of paper and then we scramble them up and then we put them all on the wall so we can see the average of kind of how everyone's feeling. And yeah. we just have to take that into account. You know, if we've got some people that are like, actually, I'm not that comfortable, we still go through the retro, but we know that we yeah. know there's stuff missing. But then if everyone's a five and everyone feels comfy, we know we can really like get into mm -hmm. it. And then that's kind of how we do that. That's why we do this red bin thing. It's why we pick on a small yeah. thing because then you can kind of have those beefs because it doesn't really matter. It wasn't a big deal. And it feels, it doesn't feel like you walk away feeling like, I ruined the company. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's my fault. Yeah. 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 I remember when we when we were working together years and years ago, you were one of the first people that talked to me about meditation. So I'm really interested in in, in what you do outside of work, perhaps, or during work that that gives that builds this resilience, gives you the grit. I don't know what it is that um, enables you to not go mad during this crazy <laughs> process. 
Yeah, well, I, I'm definitely not, uh, you know, very good at that, really, because it has been a, a, a crazy year, and and um, yeah, we're all human, right? Yeah. And I de definitely have had very low points. I think um, mm. my main, <laughs> like, I never really say this out loud, actually, but my my main way of getting through is to just not, like, kind of not give too much of a shit, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I think if you if you because I do care about my work so deeply, I care about the problem we're solving so much, but then it's really important like to take time out and away from it. And when you're away from it, like, you know, whatever, like, sure. Stuff's mm. going to go wrong. Like for sure. Yeah, yeah. But like, you've got to have that kind of like, you know what, I'm just being the best human I can be. And that means I need to just not give a shit about the company right now <laughs> for the weekend <laughs> yeah. and have fun with my friends. So trying, yeah. trying to maintain a healthy, like not being obsessive about the future of the company, what will be, will be kind of attitude as much as I can. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, making sure I do create the boundaries. I'm, I just love what we're doing so much that if I don't like actively create boundaries, I end up working myself to the bone and then I'm like, oh God, yeah, like, yeah. what even is my life? Um, yeah. So having, yeah, making sure I, you know, plan stuff that to mean I'm properly away from my desk and doing something different. And most of that's around mm -hmm. like getting out into nature, like making sure mm -hmm. I'm outside and because it's just, it's difficult to, you know, yeah, disconnecting digitally. But then, yeah, I don't, also routine, rituals and routine. Like in the morning, you know, I definitely make sure I like don't check emails or anything like that first thing. You know, I always like get up, make my bed. <laughs> I make myself a cup of tea. I like, yeah, try and like meditate for a couple of minutes, you know, or something like do like yoga or something that's like not yeah. ready to work. And then when I'm like ready to work, I'm like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's time. Yeah, then you walk the three meters to work, and then you yeah, exactly. Sit there. Yeah, yeah, walk downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay. So you've bet on consumers and brands waking up to this idea of sustainability and transparency. No doubt, there is an increasing amount of people that do care about this stuff, but it feels maybe that it hasn't reached a tipping point yet, or at least there's still a vast amount of kind of mindless overconsumption going on within this framework of capitalism yeah. and constant growth that we're demanding of the world mm -hmm. and yeah i was watching this movie the other day and it said perhaps we even need to rethink the word consumers because it's so like this idea of consumption is kind of wrong isn't it anyway yeah. i was interested to know you know what's your point of view on all this do we need something like radical like extinction rebellion or is it like a case of nudging the mainstream in the right direction or i don't know a combination i just wanted to know where you where you stood all this stuff yeah no it's a, it's a great question um so personally yes i think we need something radical i am quite a strong believer in regulation um mm, right. and i think that we can't rely on companies to just do the right thing um yeah. it's it's mm. unlikely to happen and especially when we kind of know what the right thing is i've kind of got a lot of respect for like the european union that is trying very hard to put together uh yeah a, a lot of regulation that kind of um means that companies have to do the right thing so I, i'm yeah. very pro that but i don't think regulation comes about out of thin air i think regulation comes around because a number of companies have been doing the right thing and there is citizen pressure to do the right thing in which case you do need um you need a combination of things to get to that you need businesses that show the right things possible that show making a carbon neutral product is possible or you know making a product that treats all their workers fairly and knows every single worker like you have to have those examples in a decent critical mm. mass before anyone's going to try and regulate people to do that yeah. i think yeah. i think 
Um, you can't see it, you can't be it kind of thing. Well, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you don't, if you can't see that it's possible. And I think, yeah. And then we, we also do need citizen pressure as, as well. You know, and I do, I, I do think what Extinction Rebellion is doing is the right thing. And I think in a hundred years time, people are going to be thinking that we were all crazy and they were absolutely the only ones that yeah. could see the web from the trees. So mm-hmm. it's, it's difficult. And I, I think what they're doing, it's, uh, it's, it, it's so hard because I, just a hundred percent empathize with what they're trying to say and get people to do and it is so necessary but we just need a combination i think we can't yeah we have to have we have to have them demanding and waking everybody up to the problem but we also need to have the systems and the companies showing that it's possible so that's where Mm. we are we work with the companies and make the systems to show that it's possible um and a lot of companies we work with know that regulation's coming i mean in the bbc news last week or two weeks ago uh yeah, Boris Johnson announced that, that soon all companies that have any products that relate to deforestation in any way, so that's all palm oil, all soy, so basically like 50% of the supermarket have to make their supply chains publicly transparent and that will be law. It's that's so good. Great. I mean, if you look at what happened with the carrier bags or the single-use bags that overnight yeah. when the law was changed, it was like, oh, okay, mm. like, yeah, that's fine. That's yeah. the way it is now. Everybody, there wasn't, I'm sure there's a bit of gra- granny grumbling, but... Um, Everybody else just is either doing that already or slotted into it, and it's fine now, isn't it? It's absolutely yeah. fine. I mean, we, yeah. we have to have that's the point the law protects society, right? Rather than yeah. the individual, and yes, got exactly. Got to happen. You were very early to the blockchain scene, mm. um, and it felt like the whole world went sort of crypto crazy a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah. What's that scene like now? Because I'm sort of removed from it a bit. Has it calmed down? And yeah, I would I would just love your point of view or or your version of the story of how that scene evolved since its inception and where you see it going. And I don't know, does it hold as many answers as we thought it it would? Yeah, and no, it's a really great point. Yes, I'm still I'm still very much in the scene, and the scene is hmm. still booming. I'd say it's getting right. it's getting less. Um, press like shock press time for sure mm. but the you know the cryptocurrency space and you know the DeFi space like the the whole finance world in, in, in blockchain tech is is What's still DeFi, sort of humming along like decentralized finance so kind of people oh, that right. are building yeah. uh exchanges or uh, you know ways in which people can exchange money globally uh without centralized mm-hmm. banking essentially mm-hmm. that that's still that's still pretty pretty booming you know it's 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 Mm. definitely happening i think um yeah it's tricky because i think a lot of the it's still not got like it's it's banks that are using it mostly right it's like behind Mm -hmm. the scenes for like doing boring stuff like settling transactions and stuff it's like not actually very interesting to like us as consumers and there aren't really any cryptocurrencies or like consumer examples that have really taken off massively i think there's a couple in gaming that are interesting and like you know I, it's kind of a cool place to play i think um gaming mm. and crypto that, What's, that are, what, which that ones going. in gaming are, are kind of i mean i like all the dapper lab stuff um and th- they've done kind of basically a bunch of tokens i think they helped like reddit build their like uh their gold token and stuff like that um and oh, then right. they've also built a number of games as well where you can collect mm. tokens and, and things so i think i think that kind of area is quite interesting so for me i still think it is a very important movement i really am anti the centralized web i don't like facebook i don't well i just don't like that so, you know mm. so few platforms have got such extreme control yeah over so many people seems fundamentally to me and i do still think the blockchain technology presents an interesting way to take away that control i think what's happened though is blockchain tech's kind of gone like forked it's like there's the 
uh, permission sort of internal uses, like mm. helping banks settle transactions, which it is kind of growing, but it's not transformational because it's not public and it's not internet like it's intranet like and then there's the public side which is the internet like stuff and that i still think is still so nascent i really do i think it's still like another decade before we really see breakthroughs Mm. and it's really hard to know how like will it be a libra transforming a facebook or will something new come through like don't know but it's, yeah. I, I still think it's... Is Libra still early. happening? Because I, I mean, obviously read about it maybe a year or two ago, wasn't it? Like, yeah. Is it still, is there much pushback? It, it, yes. Because I imagine a lot, a lot of people lot. feel it's Facebook and evil, I imagine. A lot of pushback. Yeah, absolutely. And it was very, it was more intranet vibes than internet vibes, you know, definitely mm. very yeah. uh, centralized, you know, just, it was like 180 parties controlling it, which that's centralized. It's just 180 right. people now rather than one. So yeah, there was definitely a lot of pushback. Um, yeah, I think it, it, they've delayed kind of launching it, but I still, I, well, there's still a big team working on it. I think they're just trying to figure out how to get the balance right. How do we get humanity to trust each other and collaborate long-term by sharing knowledge and data so that we can solve some of these huge challenges we're now facing? Well, there's like a, a negative side to this, right? Which is we haven't properly thought about what uh, technology is really doing for like our mm-hmm our work and like our life meaning we're just like oh yeah technology can just take away jobs and make things more efficient mm. and i think mm. um and make us depressed and addicted well, that's just it. Well, and, and yeah. destroy jobs and livelihoods and and we yeah. haven't really worked out what you know there is no universal income today to kind of catch the, those people that fall out of that system and so it's just a smaller and smaller and smaller amount of people that are actually benefiting from <laughs> from all of this stuff which i really think is awful so I think we have to we have to tackle that but how I guess is the question really like how do we take that I mean I just think we need to I think we're still like very immature in like how we use technology versus uh how we organize like versus like governance like I think Mm -hmm. we're doing quite a good job well not quite a good job probably quite a terrible job but like a better job of like organizing um yeah organizing as a world when it comes to like people networks we've done a terrible job of them reflecting that in technology right like mm-hmm. we there's no elected lead, like no one elected mark zuckerberg right like whereas yeah. we, we yeah. did elect quite a lot of other leaders and there was like some form of like a process not that it's particularly perfect i mean no one elected donald trump oh no hang on people chose yeah. whether they should have yeah. or not due to yeah, whether that's right or whether yeah. we think it's yeah. right or not yeah. yeah, they did all choose to have him, you know, sure. Mm. it was. But I think the issue there is not Donald Trump, it's, it is Mark Zuckerberg. Like, you know, it's yeah. Facebook that elected Trump or whatever, or like whatever what crazy yeah. background. Yeah. But like, mm. we didn't really elect the leader of that organization or, or really have much of a say in, in voting on the policies that that person brings to that scale of uh, decision making that's happening. And yeah. so I think that's, that's the next thing we have to do. We're so great at like collaboration as humans, but we haven't designed good collaborative tech systems. And mm-hmm. I think that is the next big thing that we have to do is work out how to, I, I think in tech, we talk a lot like about human centered design and all of that jazz, but we have to move to like society centered design and like mm-hmm. designing mm-hmm. new systems so that yeah. they're actually going to work for a much larger um, kind of part of the world. So, talking talking yeah. of society centered design, I really love that term. What it sort of reminds me of is this kind of crazy conflict that we've got because we're sort of operating in 
this capitalist world that has evolved or we've created. And it feels like a lot of what needs to be done is almost like a capitalism 2.0 or like a dismantling or a recalibration of like how the world works, which is like really hard yeah. to do mm-hmm. because we're you know we're all disincentive well most of us are disincentivized to do it so yeah. you know you can see how your average american citizen would look at mark zuckerberg as a hero and a self-made man and a an yeah. innovator and a visionary and a steve jobs like kind of world changer and and um feel like that it's great because that could have been then it wasn't but mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. the way the world mm-hmm. works whereas you know what we're kind of saying is that we, we need a new paradigm to to come from somewhere that actually yeah. lifts up those people um yeah everywhere um how, where does that come from how do you we can still have heroes you can still have your right. Mark zuckerberg being a hero and be, having built facebook i just think it's wrong that he is then um just so like he can be rich rich but power the power aspect is the thing i struggle with yeah, like, yeah. i think yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's so wrong to have like something non-democratic be so powerful and yeah it will be regulated well they're trying aren't they to mm-hmm. regulate it away but it's um yeah it's, yeah how do we shift to that kind of next view yeah i mean well, i think it's more less society-centered design actually it's like humanity-centered design like we've got to think in like, yeah. the biggest way because society implies that there's you know well there is several different societies and cultures and stuff around yeah. the world mm-hmm. and they, they will automatic well they are now kind of set up in opposition against each other exactly because they want to trade with each other and exploit each other to a certain degree mm-hmm. to make money yeah and yeah so got to be yeah. humanity so it's got to it's got to be system you know especially yeah. tech at that scale it's impacting so many people around the world that you have to think about them you have to think about the whole Hiding yeah. and creating anything but yeah no mm. really difficult i don't know i'm quite a fan of like the idea of like universal basic income and those kinds of ideas I think we, I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm very on the fence with like the idea of borders and countries and stuff. Like I wonder how long they'll be around, you know, in like the Bitcoin world, right? Like you, there's no countries, like who cares? Like, yeah. you know, you're just trading, like if you're a gamer, like and you've got Bitcoin, like you can just like buy stuff and exchange stuff and it doesn't really matter where you are. There's like no real concept mm. of that. And it feels like for something like universal basic income, like, it's going to need a, a global effort um, to enable yeah. something like that to really work. But mm. I, it's, but I, I don't know. I, I feel quite confident. Like humans are amazing at organisation um, and collaboration, and we've now got these yeah. incredible tools. Sure, they've been exploited for the past like decade in yeah. ma- in making a few people very powerful. But like we can wrangle those to actually enable us to all like collaborate globally. I don't know. I think I think it could be pretty powerful but um yeah we always say you know human ingenuity and creativity mm-hmm. sort of got us into this mess yeah and hopefully it'll be the thing that gets us out of it as well yeah i hope so to change the world you need to imagine a better one and this seems to be at the heart of of everything that you do and we were just wondering like what actually is your ambition personally and with providence yeah i mean i i just see a, a way for the future that doesn't exist now and I couldn't see anyone else building it so I was just like I'm so I'm just doing it kind of reluctantly yeah. in a way I really believe in transparency 
risky, of course. And I believe that if you're buying a product, you've got the right to know the impact it's had on people and planet. I think it's like a human right. Like you should have that knowledge. So yeah, I, I just like fundamentally believe that. And so just being kind of badgering along, trying to get that to happen. And it's definitely not been a straight path. So for me, like the end goal is that just transparency, like it's just default, like everything you buy, you can find out everything about the impact and supply chain behind it. But I, what I want that to drive is, like I said originally, like regulation so that there are like, you know, carbon maximums on products and mm -hmm, there is mm -hmm. no, no way it could be made by a slave and it would be illegal to enter yeah. the country if it was. Yeah. Like I want those kinds of things to happen, but I know they're not going to happen unless the data is there. So that's my first like mission to make the mm. data transparent. But I don't necessarily think it's going to make us all like fabulously conscious consumers. I think, I mean, I'm still, I'm a pretty lazy shopper, actually. Like I, you know, and that's a lot of why I created Provenance as well, because I, I don't want that. I don't want the hassle of like having to try and buy something good. I just want the data to all be there. Yeah, yeah. I want the marketplaces yeah. to do that job for me. Like I don't mm -hmm, want mm -hmm. Amazon to ever show me something that's not, that's made by a slave. I find you're often conflicted or maybe your behavior doesn't quite match up to your ambition or your principles so like a bit like you were saying you know yeah um you described yourself as a as a lazy consumer but you know yeah. maybe that's that you're demanding a, a better way of doing things i think all these things about how the world should be but then you know i'll probably get drunk and have a macky d's or like i'll buy something from wish.com and get it shipped from china <laughs> because it's like yeah. 30 dollars cheaper than of the course. real one or you know that that kind of hypocritical behavior and so I'm interested in the way that you behave and mm -hmm. like whether you have any little life hacks or tips and tricks that you could share because I'm really interested in, in ways that I can tweak my life mm -hmm. to create better outcomes for society. What does your life look like and is there anything that you can pass on to us mm -hmm. that, you, that, you know, ways of behaving and, and trade-offs that you make? It's a tricky one because it is difficult to do good without like a huge amount of effort right now I'd say yeah, um exactly. I mean my number one thing is I just don't buy anything like I, yeah. that's the number one thing you yeah. can do really is just buy less stuff reduce um, and refuse yeah mm. so I and I've become a bit like I'm kind of you know into that like borrowing things from people and lending stuff to people and and that mm. you know, like it's mm. you know even like during lockdown like you know getting to know your neighbors more and now it's like we're all on a whatsapp group and we're all like lending each, each other stuff that's really nice and i i try and like encourage that and get you know others to do that because yeah i mean absolutely yeah. like you know most sustainable thing is to not buy any is the, is the dress in your wardrobe right that's kind of my number one thing is like really really question whether i need to buy anything new um or you know like can i swap with someone that's my go-to thing i'd say um and then yeah i guess the other side is just sort of like embracing imperfection um but not being like shy about it like i mm -hmm. i like having these kinds of conversations with people and like you know like bringing up the kind of failures because the more we talk about it there are, like, I think what we do at Provenance is a bit like an open kitchen. Like hardly anyone will go and look at the chef and see if they're cleaning their knives, but there are people that do, you know, and a lot of my team yeah. are the people that go and they look at how the chef is actually cooking and they look at what kinds of ingredients <laughs> are going into their meal. But 90% of people in that restaurant will never go and like actually look at that stuff. Yeah, so I think yeah. it's just, mm. but you, if you encourage that openness and that conversation, you know, there is yeah, a growing proportion of society that are, actively putting pressure on brands i try i try to where it makes sense you know mm -hmm. like if i if i think something's greenwash or just a bit bullshit then i'll yeah i'll try and call it out 
Um, what is that like a Twitter thing or like a yeah, like on social? Yeah. Um, yeah. Or like I'll try and present an argument. Like I, you know, I just wrote a piece the other day about Oatly because they accepted this uh, Blackstone investment, yeah, yeah. and I was like, yeah. you know what? I'm going to do some research. I'm actually going to present this piece um, to like my friends, I guess. So and yeah. so like you know, it, it's just to try and help everyone have the the conversation, um, which mm. is, you know has. It's not action yet, but at least it's going in the right direction on some complex stuff, I suppose. What's this? What's the saying? It's not a principle unless it costs you or hurts you or something. I can't remember yeah. what that quote is, but it is like that. It does feel like that sometimes, doesn't it? But it's not easy to behave in the, the right way at the moment. Totally. And yeah. It's not clear what is the right way either. No. And so, and and we're we're you know us three and people like us are sort of like maybe five ten years ahead of your average person. That, I don't do know, you it's think coming through? I do think it's becoming yeah, I was more say. mainstream. Like I, I'm yeah. so shocked. Like working with our customers, we see access to lots of their shopper insight data, and like it's astonishing how quickly people are like dropping meat from their diet. Like yeah. that's yeah. not a like niche thing at all. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. These are big supermarkets mm. that are seeing. 50% of meat going completely from the shelves, you know, in mm-hmm. the next five, mm. five, 10 years, which is like insane. Like, really? Wow. Big changes in people's lives. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think people... So do you feel pretty people's... optimistic about the sort of mass adoption of, of this kind of thinking? That... Um, I do, yeah. I think, it's, I think it's happening. I think there's a younger generation coming through that are a lot more bought in uh, yeah. than we are, or, you know, our generation was, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And so I think they they will drive a lot of change, and they're a lot more digitally savvy, and you know, commerce is a lot more of a digital thing. So mm. I think the key thing is just trying to get it's getting the information to drive the systems to make it easier for yeah. them, and that's yeah, you know, that's and so that's much you, of what, what we're trying do. to do. Yeah, because yeah. it's like if you can yeah. equip them with an impartial system that helps them make those choices, then that's I, I yeah i do i do feel confident i think there is a big change but also yeah as you know it's the future of brand the, the mm-hmm. reason why we're going to yeah. trust the brands in the future is absolutely how they treat people and planet yeah. i really believe that you can't put a price on how valuable these brands are <laughs> um, yeah i think yeah. If, if this is core to it then yeah i think it yeah. cool i think that's a really good place to end because that's kind of a nice little loop JB, Thank you. pleasure Thank as you. ever. Uh, see you soon. Thanks so much for listening to Forever Conversations with Curious Minds Creating Sustainable Brands. You can find more on Jesse at Providence.org. This conversation was brought to you by Behaviour, a creative company that balances purpose and profit. We're always open to new conversations and we'd love to hear from you, so please get in touch. You can find us at behaviour.xyz. Until next time, Goodbye, people.